Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two and the conclusion of his teaching, The Evolution of the New Man. All right, praise the Lord. I'm Pastor Scott Forrest. This is Faith Life Fellowship Church, and we're so happy you could join us this morning for the live stream portion of our service today. But before I get to the message this morning, I'd like to thank all those who continue to give faithfully through our website at GoFaithLife.com and through the mail while we've been unable to meet here in the sanctuary. I tell you what, it's been absolutely supernatural. And I want you to know, this is what we declare over you as you sow into Faith Life Fellowship. We're believing God that you'll receive jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses to decrease, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all the financial needs of our members that they may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, this morning, the evolution of the new man, part two. Let me say that again. The evolution of the new man, part two. You know, last week we made the point that when God conceived his plan to redeem mankind, his intention was to do more than just restore man to his former state of glory and dominion. His intention was to create a whole new class of being, one that would look exactly like the Lord Jesus himself. And you can find that concept clearly stated in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. So that's a good place to start as we wrap up this morning the series on the evolution of the new man. Romans 8, 29 in the New King James Version. I give you a little bit of time to find it in your tablet or on your phone or on your device or in your good old-fashioned Bible. Romans 8, 29 in the New King James Version. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Praise God. That is really a, a, a verse that is packed with revelation. Here's what's being said there. Jesus became a forerunner, a prototype, the first of his kind, a new kind of man that never before existed, and he did so to pave the way for the rest of us to become just like him. Can I get an amen on that? So while last week we concentrated primarily on the restoration of fallen man, this week we're going to delve more deeply into what I call the transformation of the church age believer. Now I don't have time to get into the subject too deeply, but from my study of the scriptures, there are other believers outside of the church age who will receive new bodies as well. But since the most in-depth study of this subject is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, written by the Apostle Paul, I want to focus, as he did, on the transformation of the church. The transformation of the church age believer. Amen? Now let me warn you ahead of time that we're going to cover a lot of scriptures but we're not going to jump around as much as we did last time. This week, we're going to spend the bulk of our time 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which, as I said, was written by the Apostle Paul. And he goes into great detail about how this transformation will occur and what this new man will be like. He also talks a lot about end times because the two are connected. So before we begin reading, I thought it would be good to review the prophetic flow of Bible history according to the pre-tribulation rapture concept which we teach here at Faith Life Fellowship Church. We are currently in the church age which began after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and will continue until his return. One day, Jesus will return to rapture or catch away the church. And at that time, all believers, living or dead, will receive their new bodies, the ones we've been talking about in this series. After seven years of tribulation on the earth, we will return from heaven with Jesus in our new bodies, and we will rule and reign with him in what is known as the millennial or the thousand-year reign of Christ. And we will rule and reign in supernatural bodies over the people of the world who survived the tribulation and flowed into the millennial era in natural human bodies. Now, if you didn't catch all that the first time through, go back and rewind and listen to it again. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me give you some time to get there in your Bibles or in your devices. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first Verses we're going to read are verse 20 through 23. Paul is talking about this very subject. He says there in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So there again is that same concept you find in Romans 8, 29. He's the firstborn of many more to come. The firstborn of many brethren. And ladies, that includes you. That includes the cistern too. Verse 21 says, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that is Adam and his sin, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Amen. I forgot to tell you, this is the New Living Translation. It makes it as plain as any version I could find. Amen. All right. Skip on down in chapter 15 to verse 35. Verse 35. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? The next verse is kind of funny. He says, what a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Now, it kind of reminds me of something that Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 24. So hold your place there in 1 Corinthians 15 and go to John chapter 12, verse 24, and we'll be reading it. In the New King James Version. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain or a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much seed. 
What Jesus was saying there is I am going to be the seed. When they put my body in the ground, it will be like a seed that will produce fruit and bring forth many more seeds who will eventually be just like me. Whew, that gave me chill bumps just to say that. Amen. All right, so back to 1 Corinthians 15, now picking it up at verse 37. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body we want, he wants. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. A little astronomy geek side journey here. Stars are in fact categorized by astronomers according to their glory. They categorize them according to their surface temperature and their brightness, i.e., we would call that, in Bible terms, their glory. Amen. Let's continue on. That was an unscheduled science geek break there. All right, verse 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person. The King James says he became a living soul. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Now listen, Jesus, I'm going to say something here, and it's going to be a little deep. So I'm going to say it twice, and then like I said, if you have to rewind later and listen to it a couple times to get this, this is what I've gleaned from what we've read so far about Jesus. Jesus became the last of one kind of being, a perfect man in a natural human body, so he could become the first of another kind of being, a perfect man in a spiritual human body. I'm going to say it again. Jesus became the last of one kind of being, a perfect man in a natural human body, so he could become the first of another kind of being, a perfect man in a spiritual human body. Listen, I know the concept of a spiritual human body is kind of hard to grasp, so will I be a spirit or will I be a body? The best answer I can give you is this. If you're born again, you already have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. You already have a brand new spirit man who lives on the inside of your body. 
But your new body will have substance that is made of spiritual materials. What those materials will be, I do not know. Will we be composed of some spirit version of atoms and molecules? Or will we be composed of light as others have suggested? Whatever the case may be, we will be solid. You won't be able to punch through us with your hand. We will have substance. And as it turns out, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We will have flesh and bone. Verse 48 says, earthly people are like the earthly man. And heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Over there in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, you don't have to turn there, just trust me. Jesus, it says that Jesus redeemed us so that we could be kings and priests unto God and reign with him on planet Earth. And evidently, we're going to need supernatural bodies to carry out our assignments as we rule and reign with him on the earth. Verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. That's so good, i got to read it again. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, Paul says. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. So for the born-again believer, transformation is inevitable. It is going to happen whether you are dead or whether you are alive. I like to think about it like this. It's like the Holy Ghost is a bounty hunter. I'm coming for you dead or alive. And if the mark of the Holy Ghost is on you, you're getting a new body. Verse 52. It will happen in a moment. Paul's talking about this transformation. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds... Those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. That is such a cool concept. If you just read that with a sort of a passing reading, you'd miss it. But listen, this is what it's saying. Let me break it down for you. This is talking about the rapture or the catching away of the church. If the rapture of the church doesn't happen in our lifetime, then we'll leave our bodies behind in the grave and we'll go to be with Jesus. But when he returns at the rapture, we'll come back with him and reunite with our bodies, which will also be transformed at that time. But this is the really cool part. Think about this. But if we happen to be alive at the time of his coming, the Bible says we won't even experience death. We'll be transformed in place and beamed up to heaven in our new bodies. Amen. What a wonderful Star Trek way of thinking about it. All right, verse 53. For our dying bodies, listen to this. For our dying bodies must be transformed. It's not just something that he's given to us because he likes us. This is a necessary transformation. You're going to need to be different to rule and reign with him. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die 
our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. This is from Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. That's Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, if you want to look it up later. Amen. Now, I'm going to take a little side journey here that seems to be unrelated to our topic, but it really isn't. So just bear with me. I want to talk for a few moments about something called the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin is believed to be the burial shroud of Jesus Christ. And I, for one, am a believer in the authenticity of the Shroud of Turin. The evidence and the science points to the fact that that is indeed an image of Jesus Christ our Lord. It was found in the Middle Ages and is currently kept in a vault in Turin, Italy. And every so often they will allow scientists to examine the shroud to validate whether or not it is an actual burial shroud, the actual burial shroud of Jesus. Now I'm skipping a lot of details here, but it turns out that the shroud appears to have been exposed to a burst of radiation of unknown origin that left behind an image of a crucified man with holes in his hands and holes in his feet. Now this radiation burned into the cloth what looks like symmetrical photographic images, top and bottom, photographic negatives actually, top and bottom of this crucified man who I believe to be the Lord Jesus himself. All right, this is the point I was getting to. If you want to know about the... The Shroud of Turin, know more about the Shroud of Turin, go to the Shroud of Turin Society. They have their own website, and you will be able to just feast on all the data and all the science that's there. So I was listening one day to a DVD about the Shroud, and there was an astrophysicist talking about the radiation pattern that she observed in her study of the Shroud. And she said that the radiation appeared to emanate from within the man who was covered by this shroud. Woohoo, glory. You know what that makes me think of? Jesus said, you can tear down this temple, but three days later, I'm going to raise it up. Anyway, she said that the radiation appeared to emanate from within this man who was covered by this shroud. Furthermore, she went on to say that the pattern of radiation she observed that was left behind on the shroud matched the pattern of radiation that she studied in the creation of the universe. Did you hear that? The radiation pattern in the image on the shroud was almost identical to the radiation pattern that scientists have looked at that point to the creation of the universe. Amen. And I was absolutely stunned when I heard her say that. Because if true... That would mean that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a creation event. And that's what we've been saying all along. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ was in fact the creation of the whole new type of being. And that new type of being was created by the same kind of power that God used when He created the universe. And you and I are destined to be just like him. First John 3, 2 John 3.2 in the New Living Translation. Give you a little time to get there with your device. 
or with your good old-fashioned Bible. 1 John 3, 2, New Living Translation. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So we may not know to the fullest extent what our new bodies will be like, but one thing we'll know for sure, we will be just like him. And with that in mind, the Bible offers a few clues as to what this new man will be like and the capabilities he will have. This is the fun part. I've been waiting this whole message to get to the fun part, okay? Because I get to talk about space and time and things like that, and it's entirely biblical in its context. Amen. First of all, when you receive your new body, you'll have a spiritual body, but it'll be one with substance. You'll have flesh and bone. Evidently, you'll have some type of organ system. Just like our forerunner, just like our prototype, Jesus. Now, we find that in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 39 and going to verse 43. i give you a few minutes to get there. Luke 24, 39 to 43 in the New King James Version. Give you a little background on this scripture. This is the first time Jesus has appeared to his disciples since his resurrection. So he appears inside the room and the disciples think he's a ghost. They think he is a spirit. And Jesus realizes that and he's beginning to prove to them that he is not a spirit. He is not a ghost. So pick it up here in verse 39. Jesus says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus was a spiritual human being. A spiritual body he possessed. I said that like uh, Yoda, didn't I? (laughs) Yoda syntax. So Jesus had a spiritual human body. But it had substance. It had flesh and bone. Furthermore, he goes on to say, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed them the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet as further proof that it was him. He was Jesus, the one that they knew. But then he goes on. He takes it a step further. But while they did not believe for joy and marveled, in other words, they still were thinking it was too good to be true. He said to them, have you any food here? You got anything to eat? (laughs) Jesus came in. He says, you got anything to eat in this house? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, why do you think he did that? Well, it was the third and final proof that he was offering to them that A, he was not a spirit, and B, he was Jesus. He took food, solid food, And he put it in his mouth and it didn't immediately drop to the floor, you know, because he was a spirit. He had a spirit body, but it has substance. I don't confess to understand the mechanics of that, whether they're spirit molecules or spirit atoms or light rays or whatever. But our new bodies will be spirit, but they'll have substance. If I tackle you, you will feel it. You will fall to the ground with force, with much force. All right, I'm having way too much fun with this, so we better continue on here. 
in our new bodies, we'll be able to dematerialize and rematerialize at will. Why do I know that? Well, because our forerunner, our prototype, Jesus, did just that. John chapter 20, verse 26, in the New King James Version. John chapter 20, verse 26, in the New King James Version. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. I love that. He just appeared inside the door and he said, peace, brothers, peace in. I like the way the message says it. The message translation says it just like this. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Notice it says he came through the locked doors. The only way you can do that is if you have the ability to dematerialize and rematerialize your body. That is way, way cool. Imagine we're patrolling the streets during the millennium, ruling and reigning with Christ. And we walk by a bank and we sort of see through the walls and we see some bank robbers in there extracting money from the tellers. And so we walk through the wall and say, that's enough in the name of Jesus. Stop what you're doing. And then they turn and they empty their pistol and it just bounces off you. Or maybe like the Matrix, you put up your hand and it stops all the hail of bullets. Amen. I don't know how it's going to manifest, but it's going to be way cool. All right. In our new bodies, we'll be capable of supernatural transport or teleportation. People who speak church speak call it being translated, but you won't find that word in the New Testament, so I prefer to call it teleportation. All right, let's talk about Philip. Now, this is a natural example because Philip the evangelist was a natural human being when this happened to him. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40, I'll give you a summary. We're not going to read it. Go look it up later. Philip the evangelist is told by an angel to follow the desert road to Gaza from Jerusalem. On his journey toward Gaza, he runs into a high-ranking Ethiopian minister. I believe he was the treasurer for Candace, queen of Ethiopia. And he was reading the book of Isaiah about the coming Messiah. So Philip ends up leading him to Jesus and baptizing him in a pool of water near the side of the road. But as soon as he baptizes him and they come up out of the water, Philip is transported immediately by the Holy Spirit to Azotus, which is 20 to 40 miles away, depending on how far the road to Gaza he had gotten when this happened. That's just amazing. Acts 8.39 says he was caught away. And verse 40 says Philip found himself in Azotus. You know, so I can imagine something like this. So what happened was I was baptizing this guy and I found myself in Azotus. So the word translated there, caught away, is the Greek word harpazo which means literally to snatch away or to catch away. It's the perfect Greek word to describe what happened to Philip. Now consider this. As I said, Philip was in a natural human body and he was transported from one point on the earth to another point on the earth with considerable help from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now we're going to talk about Jesus. After his resurrection, he's in this spiritual human body with great capabilities. 
And he's able to do this on his own. Amen. When Jesus was finished with his assignment on planet Earth, Revelation 12.5, go look it up later. Revelation 12.5 says he was caught up to planet heaven. And that's the exact same word used there. Harpazo. Harpazo. Only instead of a distance 20 to 40 miles, Jesus transported himself from planet Earth to planet heaven, which I believe is billions of light years to the north. Amen. And he did it at a rate that he chose. He didn't do it instantaneously. Notice it says that when he lifted off the Mount of Olives, they watched him ascend. So he slowed it down so he could enjoy the view on the way to heaven. He could have gone in an instant, but he decided to go the slow route, at least until he, he got to the upper atmosphere of earth, and then he probably went, Pew, I'm there. All right, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And if Jesus is our prototype, if he is our forerunner, then one day we will have the same capabilities that he did or he does. Amen. I know about y'all, but I think that's cool. Listen, you can't find a sci-fi or a fantasy book that's any cooler than that. And this is Bible. This is true. This is going to happen. Amen. So I want to wrap this series up with the following statement. When you made Jesus your Lord, whether you realized it or not, you embarked on a fantastic journey, an evolutionary journey. That will one day culminate in the creation of a new kind of man or woman. You were marked, you were sealed, and you are destined to become an indestructible, incorruptible, immortal being with superhuman capabilities. We really will be like superheroes. Furthermore, there will be no part of your being, spirit, soul, or body, that is subject to sin, corruption, or death of any kind. And when that day comes, your salvation will be complete. Just like Isaiah said, death will be swallowed up in victory. And what a glorious day that will be. Amen? Amen. Now, before I close out this broadcast, I want to give those of you that may be listening or watching an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to repeat this prayer after me, phrase by phrase, repeat it after me. Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus to die for me so that I might receive forgiveness of sin and newness of life. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead and I confess him as my Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says I'm born again. Lord, help me find a good Bible-believing church and surround me with people who can help me grow in my newfound faith. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message, The Evolution of the New Man. If this message has blessed you and you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by donating on our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website 
at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.